Turn, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. We're actually going to finish the sixth chapter today. Isn't that great? We are going to pick up speed any day now. We are two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest single recorded sermon that we have of Jesus Christ. Somebody commented that the ladies' ministry is working through the book of Matthew, and they did the Sermon on the Mount in two weeks. I'm a little bit slower. I think this is the 20th lesson in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we talked about stuff. We talked about laying our treasures up on earth where moth and rust and uh, destroy and thieves break in and steal versus storing our treasures in heaven. And we discussed the fact that we need to take the wealth that we have here on earth and somehow transmit that wealth to heaven. And the way we do it is by converting it into the glory of God, by using the stuff that God has given us, be it money, be it assets, be it time, be it energy, whatever it is, by using it to bring glory to God, we are storing up treasures in heaven. Now, one of the reasons that we store up so much stuff is because we worry about so much stuff. And today's lesson is going to be about worry. So here I am this week worrying about my lesson about worry. (laughs) In fact, I made a list of the things that I worried about this week, and I'm not going to share it with you because it's highly embarrassing. I mean, there's my wife and children traveling. There's this, there's that. We worry about a lot of things. And Christ here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm getting the message that I'm too loud. Okay, I won't yell. Do not, therefore I tell you, this is verse 25 of chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the trouble, is its own trouble. Therefore, don't be anxious. What does it mean to be anxious? Worry. What's the difference between Worrying about something and being concerned about something. 
Very little. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that you're anxious, I'm just concerned, right? Whatever it is. To worry about something is to sit here and ponder the fact that God is not going to take care of you. Somehow, I, in my mind, have to work through this because God's not going to take care of me. I either need to build a bigger pile of stuff, I need to think about it more, I need to think of all the possible things in the universe that could go wrong. Have you ever done that? You're going on a trip. What if the car breaks down on the way to the airport? What if I can't make it through security? What if I have something in my bag I'm not supposed to have in my bag? What if the flight is late? What if the flight is early? What if the flight crashes? Oh, gosh. And then I've got to get to the other end. I've got to get a rental car. I've got to do this. I've got to get... And you're just... There's this long string of things that we worry about. We are anxious about. And here we are at the midpoint, past the midpoint, of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus tells them, stop worrying about all those things that occupy your time. Now, there actually is a difference between worrying and concern. There are things that I do today that help me tomorrow. In a moment, we're going to talk about the fact that the birds don't sow and the birds don't reap. But we are commanded to sow that in the future we may be able to reap. We are not talking here about doing nothing. What we're talking about is not worrying about it. Worrying accomplishes nothing. Now, I've actually got two lessons that are going to intertwine themselves today. And I'm going to tell you this up front because one of them is really good and one of them is not that good. The first lesson is don't worry. But I know what you're going to do. You're going to go home and worry about not worrying because that's what we do. But the second lesson is the good one. And that is God's going to take care of you. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God is going to provide for you. As we turn our thoughts from everything in the universe that could go wrong, and trust me, it's a really long list. As we contemplate everything that could go wrong, we are going to spiral out of control. But as we turn our focus from that to God, all those worries just kind of go away. Because the reality is 99% of them aren't going to happen anyway. Oh, now you're going to start worrying about which one's the 1%, right? <laughs> That's what you're going to do. I was reading a book about worrying and... Uh, it commented that between 1990 and 1998, the murder rate decreased 20% in this country. The number of news stories about murder increased 
Now, we all lived through that period. Did we worry more about murder, even though murder was decreasing in reality? Of course we did, because we saw it on the news every day. Somebody died, somebody was murdered, oh my, they're coming for me next. And that's what we think. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than these things that we worry about? This is one of those semi-rhetorical questions because you know what the author knows the answer to this question is. Of course life is more important than these things. But do we really believe it? Do we really believe that somehow tomorrow I'm not going to have something to eat? Or maybe, eh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We're going to talk specifically here about eating, drinking, and your clothing, what you put on. We worry about these things. We spend lots of time, energy, figuring out what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. Why do we do that? Hmm? Come on. We have to eat and we have to wear clothes. I was reading a... uh, Obituary, the founder of Ikea died uh, last week or something. He bought all of his clothes at the second-hand retail store. I mean, he owned Ikea. And he bought his clothes at the used clothing store. They said he was a tightwad. No. (laughs) Is not life more important than these things that we worry about? Jesus is going to assume the answer is yes. If the answer is yes, why do we act as if it's not true? Why do we act as if, if I don't worry about it, it's not going to happen? Now, once again, there is an obligation, an obligation to do what we're called to do. We sow so that we reap. But after I sow and after I take care of you know, the watering and all that stuff that farmers do, do I then sit there and worry and worry and worry? Am I anxious about what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to wear tomorrow? If you're like most 21st century Americans, you have more clothes in your closet than you will ever wear. That's just a fact. Why is that true? Because we worry about it. (sighs) Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now we read this, and I don't know what your first thought is. I know what my first thought is, but I don't want to eat like a bird. I don't want to eat that way. Let's think about this for a moment. God created birds, lots of birds. 
variety out the wazoo of birds. And he provided food for these birds that is appropriate to them. They need certain grains, they need certain worms, they need certain whatever, and God provides the food that is appropriate to birds. We look at that and we go, yeah, that's great. Isn't God wonderful? Question. Are you, in the eyes of God, more valuable than the birds? Let's pause and let's think about this question. Do we really believe that the answer is yes? To the best of my knowledge, to the best of my understanding of Scripture, God did not descend to earth in the form of a bird to die for all birds in the planet. Now, we have references of the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove, okay? He's not here to save the birds, Does God have something against birds? No. The birds will be redeemed just like all of creation will be. But he sent his son to die for us because we, in the eyes of God, are of infinite value. So, God has provided food appropriate for the birds to consume, and God thinks we're more important than the birds. Therefore, do you think God will provide for us. Yeah, but you know, he may not give me what I want. You know, push comes to shove, you can live on beans and rice. For most of human history, it was beans, rice, lentils, some form of bread, and that was the human diet. You can live off that, but you don't want to live off that. And so you begin to worry that God does not have your best interest in mind. And why would we think that? We're going to see it in just a moment. O ye of little faith. What is it that causes us to worry about what we will eat and what we will wear and what we will drink? It is a lack of faith. It is the disbelief that God really does care about us enough to really take care of us. And so we sit there and worry. We are anxious for the things of this world because we don't have the faith to believe that tomorrow God will take care of me. Now once again, there's nothing in here that is speaking against the fact that today we sow so that tomorrow we can reap. Today I go to work so that tomorrow I can eat. That is the way God provides it to us. But sitting in my chair at home worrying about it is totally ineffective. It just doesn't help. Let's keep going. I've got you all really worried, don't I? (laughs) Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why do we not worry? 
or why ought we not worry? Point number one, we don't worry because it doesn't do any good. In fact, if you want to, you can kind of sort of use that as a definition to distinguish between worrying and being concerned about something. Is it in any form or fashion effective at accomplishing what you're worrying about? Now, it's interesting, this book I was reading about worrying, he says, you know, we worry about something and it doesn't happen, which, by the way, is usually the case. But we begin to think that the worrying made it not happen when really it had nothing to do with it. The asteroid was not really going to hit your house anyway. It just wasn't. But we get, begin to think that somehow through my psychic power, my worrying produced the result that I wanted. And that's just not true. Now, here's the observation. If I sit in that chair and I begin to worry about how long I'm going to live, will that Will that single process of me sitting in that chair worrying about how long I'm going to live add one hour to the length of my life? And the answer is no. Now, do I buckle my seatbelt when I get in the car? Yes. Do I do that because I'm just worrying? Or do I do that because it's the right thing to do? You do it because it's the right thing to do. We try to eat food that is appropriate, we try to take care of ourselves, we do those things, but those are things that we're doing. Sitting in the chair, worrying about adding an hour to my life is not going to add an hour to your life. If God has given you things that you can do, do them. C.S. Lewis, I quoted last week in uh, the screw tape letters, which are the letters of the senior demon to the lesser demon on how to um, tempt people better, says that human beings have three units of time. There's the present, there's the past, and there's the future. And he says what you don't want people doing, remember this is the demon talking to the demon, is living in the present. You want them mulling over all the mistakes in the past. Oh, why did I do that? Oh, that was horrible. Or you want them worrying about the future when they can't do anything about it. Instead of thinking about the current and what God has given us to do in the here and now. More about that in just a moment. So, we have to ask ourselves, do I really believe that sitting in that chair worrying about the length of my life is or is not going to add an hour to my life. Do we really believe that? Jesus is telling us it has nothing to do with the length of your life. I don't want, I mean, we don't want to get into a discussion of fatalism and all of that stuff, but God has a book and he knows when you're going to die. Just to let you know, okay? Just to let you know. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of the little faith? Why do we worry about our clothes? Now, once again, this is not saying anything against clothes. I am glad every one of you is clothed today. <laughs> Just saying. Okay? We dress to protect ourselves from the environment. We dress to emphasize our modesty. We dress for a lot of reasons. But the observation is, why do we worry about it so much? Now, I can go down a path that's going to get me into a lot of trouble on this, okay? We have more clothes than we can possibly wear. In the same way that I talked last week, that I have more books than I can possibly ever read. Why do I do that? Because I just like a bigger pile of stuff. I have a theory about this, and it's just a theory. Don't shoot me afterwards, okay? You know, you go, I don't have anything to wear. How many of you... No, don't say it. How many of you have ever said that? I don't have anything to wear. And your spouse looks at you and goes, are you nuts? I've got a supersized closet. I have this much. You have that much. You have. But the problem is, since we have so many choices, we don't know how to make the choice, so we just worry about it. Why do we, as 21st century Americans worry about what we're going to wear because we don't believe God will take care of us tomorrow. I mean, if you look at last week's lesson, storing up treasures on earth where moths, moths, moths. Let me tell you what's going to happen to all your clothes. They're going to end up in the dump. They are, okay? You're going to take some of them, you're going to wear them, and you're going to have a great time, and that's fabulous. Go do that. Wear your nice clothes. Just don't worry about it. That's his point. He says, Jesus says, look at the flowers. Aren't they beautiful? Don't they have a magnificent range of colors? reading an article just this week about dying clothes, you know, throughout history. You look at that range of flowers. People have spent thousands of years trying to figure out how to make all those colors stick to a fabric. And they're doing a fabulous job, by the way. I mean, it's amazing. God takes care of those. God takes care of the flowers, and guess what? Those flowers are going to last, what, two weeks? I don't know about you, but I bought flowers for my wife for Valentine's Day. I bought flowers for two of my daughters, and they're all sitting there. And do you know what? In a week, they're going to be dry. Once again, if God shows that much interest in the beauty of the flowers that are here for a moment and then you just kind of chop them up and you throw them in the fire because you need something else to burn to cook your dinner. How much more is he going to take care of you? 
Why don't we believe that? He just told us. O ye of little faith. We have made snide remarks. Not we. I have made snide remarks the last two weeks about advertising. So why stop now, right? He said he was worried about that. Advertising is going to convince you you need more. Fill in the blank, whatever it is, more. You need more stuff. You need more clothes. And you begin to worry, my clothes aren't like that. They're not as good as that. They're not in style like that. They're not like that. God doesn't love me. God's not taking care of me. I've got to go do it on my own. And we sit in our chair with our computer and we surf the Internet looking for more stuff. Once again, Don't ever think that this means you don't need clothes and they can be nice clothes. I have no problem with that at all. That's not the issue. If God gives you bologna for lunch or if God lets you go to the best steakhouse in town for lunch, you thank God for providing for your needs. But I want this. Yeah. And that's the source of worry. It's probably a want instead of a need. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Because it's going to tell us, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all this stuff that you need will be added to it. But you know what? You and I have an infinite number of wants. We really do. As soon as we get this, we want the next one, and we want the next one. I remember years ago reading an article about fashions in high school and how the kids have to wear the right clothes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they talked to a psychologist, a child psychologist, and he knew that this was bad for the kids. He knew it. And then he ends up up saying, but I'm going to buy them for my daughter because I don't want her to feel left out. That's the trap that we've caught, got caught in. We know that it's not helping. And yet we continue, continue to do it. Look at the beauty of nature. God has done all that. Don't you think he can take care of you? And the truth is, we don't really believe that. We don't really believe it. Once again, I keep worrying about you going off an edge. He's not saying, sit in that chair and wait for God to provide for you. God has given you abilities. He's given you opportunities. He's given you things to do. Go do them. But while you're doing them, don't worry about it. Just do what God has given you to do today. More about that in just a moment. O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. That's an interesting phrase. Remember, 
to a Jewish person, there are Jews and there's everybody else. And the everybody else are Gentiles. They're pagans. Now, he's sitting there talking to this Jewish audience, and he says, guess what? You're acting just like them. What is he saying? You're acting just like the atheists who have no hope for tomorrow other than their own effort. You're acting just like them. They worry about all these things. Yes. You're not exercising your faith when you're worrying. Exactly. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Here's a question, and I have no way in the world to measure this. So don't worry, I'm not going to give you the statistics. Do you think that you worry as much or more or less about the future than your unbelieving neighbor? If the answer is as much or more, in what way are you demonstrating your faith in God to provide for your needs? If we're acting just like everybody else, how are we demonstrating our faith in God? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Number two reason for not worrying. Number one, well, number three reason. Number one reason is God tells us not to. Number two reason is it doesn't do any good. You can sit there, there in that chair worrying about adding an hour to your life and it's not going to work. Number three, God already knows what you need. Now, this produces all kinds of deep philosophical, theological discussions. Because if God already knows what I need, then why in the Lord's Prayer am I told to pray, give me this day my daily bread, if he already knows it? He knows that I need something to eat tomorrow. Why do I ask him for it? Because I need to know where it's coming from. I need to know that God will provide for me, but he's going to provide for me in such a way that I will continually be dependent upon him. It doesn't say, give us this day enough food for the next five years. Why? Well, first off, it'd probably rot. Unless it's MREs, and then after five years, you wouldn't want to eat them. Meals ready to eat. That's an MRE. That's what the military people eat. Don't go there. We worry. We worry because we don't think God knows. Now, if we don't think God knows, what should we do? Come on, this is real easy. Huh? Pray! Pray. Tell God. Now, God already knows. But he likes for us to ask. He likes for us to ask. Why? You see, we sometimes get this vision, you know. Go ahead. Think back to Ralph in Africa with the 
The question is, and it's an important question, what about the people that are starving? Obviously, God is not providing for their sustenance, their needs, okay? I mean, their food for today. If God was providing food for everyone, there wouldn't be starving people in the world. Well, this is a complicated subject. Why is it complicated? Because somewhere way back in Genesis chapter 3, humanity looked at God and said, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my own way. The earth today produces enough calories, enough food to feed everyone on the planet. It does. I'm going there. I'm getting there. It produces enough food for everyone on the planet. Now, there are political issues, there are wars, there's greed, there's all of this stuff that hinder the distribution of this food. Now, her observation is, what about people of faith who are starving? Because the psalmist says, I've never seen those who follow God go hungry. Yet we've seen those now. Let me skip ahead. Can I do that? Therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The last reason we don't worry, I am getting back to your comment, by the way. The last reason that we don't worry is because worrying is taking today's energy and trying to solve next year's problems. I would like to be able to tell you, I would love to be able to tell you, if you learn to trust in God, if you learn to have faith, if you learn to not worry, that you will never have another problem. I would love to be able to tell you that. There's a problem. We know that's not true. And guess what? This verse tells us it's not true. What this verse tells us, if I'm taking today's energy and using it to worry about tomorrow's problem, then I am not going to be able to deal with the problems that I have right now. And guess what? God's going to give you a day full of them. Isn't that encouraging? God is going to give you a day's full of problems. Guess what? Somebody may kill you for being a believer. They might. They might persecute you. You might be thrown into prison and not fed. You may be, all of these things may be happening because of your belief. And I would love to tell you that if you trusted God and you didn't worry about things, that everything would be hunky-dory. But guess what? We know that's not true. Guess what? You ready for this? You're going to die someday. I hate to break it to you. What this lesson is about is if I sit here today and worry that I'm going to die someday, all I'm doing is taking today's energy to try to solve tomorrow's problems, and I'm not dealing with today's problems. 
What does that have to do with your comment? We live in a fallen world. And one of these days, God's going to call you and me home. And he may do it by dying in our sleep. He may do it dying in a prison somewhere. Paul said, I don't care. How he does it, I don't know. I don't like the answer. I don't like any of this. But what we want to happen is we want, we don't really want, no, we do want that. No, we don't. What we really want is we want to be sitting at the table with the steak and the baked potato while all the pagans are eating bologna. That's what we really want. And guess what? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We are going to suffer when our neighbors suffer because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The droughts fall on the just and the unjust. Why? Moses had to wander in the desert for 40 years just like Caleb did and just like Joshua did. And they were the good guys. But you know what? They were surrounded by sinful people just like you and I are. All this is to say, I don't know the answer to your question because I don't know in a specific case, why this occurred. I do know that God has told us we're going to have troubles in this world. But what he's told us is that worrying about those troubles doesn't accomplish anything to solve them. Now, we have an obligation, we have an obligation to help those that are in need. We had a discussion about this a couple of weeks ago. This strange phenomena... God gives people assets, resources, and God gives people needs. And in a perfect world, he gives each individual person the appropriate resources to match the appropriate needs. But in reality, what he does is he gives this group over here resources and this group over here needs so that we will learn to help those around us. But guess what we do? We're sinners. We like our resources. We want my pile of stuff to be bigger and bigger. I like my big pile of stuff. And all of this plays together. And why do we do it? Because we don't have the faith to believe that tomorrow God will take care of me. Now, tomorrow I could die. And if that's God's plan, worrying about it's not going to make a difference. That's a long way to get to a non-answer, right? <laughs> Go ahead, Jerry. Mm-hmm. We're using uh, Princeton's bread basket. Uh, they've got so much food over there, and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But the problem I see there is there's not people that want help to go to the places that need the help. Right. We're using them because we need them. Yeah. And uh, Mark over there loves those things. Yeah. And uh, what have we got? Go ahead. The word new and improved in advertising. <laughs> I won't go there. (laughs) And your point is right. We sit here, throw away piles of mountains. I mean, you've seen the billboards. I've seen it about all the food that's wasted in the United States while there are people who are in need. Okay? I remember as a child, you know, you don't want to finish your vegetables and your mother says, what? 
The starving children in China would love to have that, and I, being a smart like kid, would say, put it in an envelope and mail it to them. <laughs> but the reality is, in a fallen world, you know, it just irritates me. It shouldn't, but it does. You have some African country run by some warlord, and he wants you to pay him so that you will have the opportunity to feed his people. And I'm going, this doesn't make sense. Now, the people need to be fed. So you do what you can do. But it's just the crazy mixed-up world that we have. That's what's happening in North Korea. Yeah. North Korea could be buying food, or they can be building nuclear weapons. Pick one. Anyway, it's a complicated thing. And I, as I said, I put it down to we're fallen creatures. We make collectively bad decisions. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Go home today, and if you haven't done so, memorize verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. First observation is what are all these things? Well, what are you worrying about? Stop worrying about it. Those are the things that will be added to you. It is interesting because Jesus began his earthly ministry in much the same way, in fact, in exactly the same way that John the Baptist did, which was what? He gave the message, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The observation being the kingdom is coming. Here it is and you cannot stop it. It is a steamroller that's going to enter the room and you cannot stop it. But we're told to seek the kingdom of God. Seeking implies us doing something. What is that something? Well, let's start with the simplest piece of it. Let's take our focus off the things of this world. Let's take our focus off this pile of stuff that I've been accumulating. And let's turn that focus to God. Let's just start there. Let's just start by instead of worrying about what I'm going to have for lunch... And when I say worry about lunch, in our situation, worrying about lunch means worrying about how good it's going to be or the quantity of it, not the existence of it. There are people in the world who are worrying about the existence of it. That's not our problem, other than we need to be helping them. Our problem is not, what am I, I mean, am I going to have lunch? Our problem is, well, is it going to be exactly what I want? Take your eyes off that and take your eyes toward the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. What does it mean to seek his righteousness? What is righteousness? Right standing before God. Woohoo, I have that. Jesus Christ died, he gave me his righteousness, I have right standing before God, I'm done. Well, that's true. 
but we've talked before in here about the aspect of salvation known as sanctification, where we work out what God has put into our lives. And guess what? You've got to do something. Back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What are we supposed to do? Sit in the chair worrying about whether my life is going to end in an hour or two hours? No. Why? Because it doesn't do any good, because God is taking care of it, and because you've got other things that you need to do today. Instead, we take our focus off that, and we put it on God and his righteousness. What is his righteousness? That we, we would be conformed to the image of Christ. How do we know that? Pull out your Bible and start reading. You can make it easy to start in the New Testament. You can make it easy, find a nice epistle like, I don't know, Ephesians. You'll have more to work on than you'll know what to do with. You've heard people say, right, I just don't know what the will of God is. And that's probably true. What they're talking about is with regard to some big decision in life. Should I go this place? Should I stay home? Should I do this? Should I? Some big decision and they don't know. My contention has always been we know a lot more about the will of God than we want to know or do. Trust me. Just go read Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It'll blow your mind. Wow. But that's, isn't that just trying to earn my salvation? No. It's trying to keep you from sitting in that chair worrying about things that you can't do anything about. And instead, focus on what God would have you to do. Guess what? This may come as a shock to you, but God has things for you to do tomorrow. I'm not sure he has a list, but he may. He has things for you to do tomorrow. And worrying is not one of them. Because all worry does is distract you from your list of things you need to do. Well, this sounds rather legalistic. Aren't I becoming a Pharisee by having these things God wants me to do? No, not at all. Go back to the very beginning of chapter 6. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Because then you've received all the reward you're ever going to get. But do your acts of righteousness in secret so that nobody knows. And the God who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, what is the point of all of this lesson? Life is full of problems. Anybody want to argue that? We're all old enough to know that. Life is full of problems. God has given you a problem, and he's given you a resource. Go help them with that problem. God has given you problems, and he's given you resources. Do what God wants you to do. God has given you activities to do that will help today and tomorrow and for eternity. Go do them. But when we don't have faith, we begin to believe that sitting in that chair worrying about things is somehow going to change the future. And Jesus says, trust me. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. 
Paul says, I've learned to be content when I've got a lot of stuff, and I've learned to be content when I have a little bit of stuff. We can actually have an interesting debate about which of those two is harder, to be content when you have a lot of stuff or to be content when you have a little stuff. That's an interesting debate that we're not going to have today. Yes? No, I like righteous. <laughs> Righteousness is right standing before God. It is pursuing God and his holiness above the things of this world. I don't necessarily want to wrap it into some therapeutic terms that modern people would really like. You know. Well, I, I'm all in favor. His observation is, is doing what is right, and that's good. Here's my concern with that. Who gets to determine what right is? Exactly. As long as we allow God to define it, go for it. If you're going to allow 21st century America to define what righteousness is, you are going to be, I mean, I, I hate to even get into this. It was so horrible. The New York Times Magazine last week had an article, do not read this article, about the effects of pornography on teenage thinking, how teenagers' brains think about sex. And they want to have pornography awareness classes to teach you what moral pornography looks like versus immoral pornography. Now, you and I can have an interesting discussion about what moral pornography means. But to me, that's an oxymoron. It does not exist. But that's the thinking of our world today. If you're like me, and you are exactly like me, you spent this week worrying about a lot of things that you could not control. I did. Okay? And God says, what that is demonstrating is a lack of faith. I mean, it's a phrase that Jesus is going to use a lot throughout the rest of the book of Matthew. The disciples get concerned about the storm. What? Don't you have any faith? And Jesus, every once in a while, comes up to us and says, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And we go, yeah, but I'm not really sure you do. What arrogance on our part. What are you supposed to do tomorrow? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And guess what? Everything that you need will be added to that. Now, does it mean that your life is going to be a piece of cake? No. It's going to be one problem after another. Sorry. But what it does mean that as those problems come, God will provide the resources to help you deal with them. Once again, is it going to be pleasant? No. You're going to die, and then you're going to go to heaven, and that will be pleasant. Okay? Just letting you in on a little secret. Nobody promised that this world was going to be pleasant. If it was pleasant, we really wouldn't have anything to worry about. But God wants us to live a life of dependence upon him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Just today. Lead us not into temptation because we're weak creatures. We're going to worry about everything. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, yeah. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those. Yeah, we don't worry about that one. Do you see the point? God has a life that he wants you to live. And as you worry, every hour you spend worrying is one less hour you're spending doing the other things. And I know this because I spent my life doing it. My wife and I have this running joke, okay? You know, with eight kids, the evenings are busy, and I would come home and we'd get into bed, and then she'd want to share with me all of the troubles of the day. And she would get them off her mind. She was great. Off to sleep she'd go. Guess what I did for the next two hours? I worried about things that I had absolutely no control over, particularly not at 11 o'clock at night. What should I have done? God, this is your problem. Like somebody said, when you go to bed, give all your problems to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. (laughs) Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help me, help us to trust in you and not worry about tomorrow. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.